This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2, and uh, we're going to get into His Word. When we started this thing called Conduit, we never thought we would end up where we are right now. The people here rise to the occasion. We don't cower back, but are a people of action. When there's a crisis, that is when we are at our best. A relevant church may not be essential, but an essential church will always be relevant. Essential means that if you are a church and you are not here next week, that people's lives are literally on the line. When you are saving addicts and freeing slaves, feeding people and serving others, then you become essential. Does the church need to have a mission? Or did Jesus' mission need to have a church? You know, part of that being essential in, is involved us continuing to travel and continuing to be out in the nations. Um, my name is Darren. By the way, I guess I didn't say that. If you're visiting, you haven't figured it out. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad that you're here. And for you that are online this morning, if you're on the beach or in the mountains or just at home, we love you and we're praying for you. Uh, this picture represented, uh, this was taken just about four months ago, and it represented a specific uh, low in my life, as well as a high in my life. You see, when you get on a little plane like this out of Port-au-Prince into Jacques Mel, they make you get on a scale. <laughs> and it's not just any scale. It's like one of those big clock plate ones, like a clock in a train terminal in Union Station with a little bit of a twist of a how much do you weigh scale at the fair. And, you get, and we can't get too many, obviously we can't fit much on that plane, so we gotta make sure that the weight is fine. And so, I, look, I knew that I had uh, become a little more puffy uh, during the pandemic. I had been eating my feelings, and apparently I was really angry. <laughs> Cheeto looks like Dr. Fauci. I was like, shoving him in like... <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> but in that moment, Lafleur, our guy, our friend from Haiti, who didn't make it to this picture, he looks at me and he kind of gives one of those wow moments. And now here's the thing. Wow, on the one hand, because in, in Haiti, a guy looks like me, they're like, that dude's rich. That dude's loaded. We, like, we want to follow that guy anywhere. Like around here, I, that's not what they think, but there. Uh, but also because, you know, LaFleur knew me when I was 30 and I didn't look like I had been stung by a bee and having an allergic reaction. So it was this moment, though, that I'm like, oh, I've got to make some changes. <laughs> and part of the changes I knew I had to make, because, look, I'd still been on the treadmill. Part of that was I was angry, too. I'm just running it off. But here's the thing. Personal, professional trainers, all that, here's what you know. You cannot outrun a French fry right? Pizza is faster than you. You can keep working, but if you don't balance your nutrition, it, it does this. 
like I'm swollen at this point. And so that moment, I was literally laying in Haiti. I'm laying in the hotel room and I'm, I'm awake. It's night. I'm like, oh, because there's, you know, it's, it's kind of a complicated time down there right now. So I wasn't sleeping real well. But I just really felt like the Lord leading me to like, Darren, you are not healthy. It has nothing to do with your weight, although a little bit, but it has everything to do with you're not healthy enough to accomplish what the Lord has called me to do. There's a lot left to do, and I need to be focused on that. And what I had realized is that the other moments in my life when I had achieved a healthier view, in fact, if you remember me at the beginning of the pandemic, I was feeling pretty good. And I was paying attention to four things in my life. I was paying attention to nutrition, what I was putting down my gullet. I was paying attention to others around me, like Iron Tribe, CrossFit. I mean, Keith, you know, you get into a group, there's just something about the group thing. I was paying attention to the idea that I needed to be lifting weights, like strength training. And I was paying attention to that, hey, cardio, that stuff that I was doing all through the pandemic is important for my heart. But without the other three, it's incomplete. Those four things, and I, I literally, I don't know if a good one is here, but I had to get a new belt from Groove Life because I, I had to get a smaller belt. I was pretty pleased with that, right? Because I was paying attention to these four things. Things were changing in my life, and I'm going to continue to do that. Y'all can, this is part of the accountability piece. Y'all start seeing me swell up again on camera. Uh, you, you feel free to uh, email mo at conduitchurch. Um, the point of me saying this is this. By devoting myself to those four things, the results are what happened. If I'm just devoting myself to not being healthy, devoting myself, whatever, like I, if I'm devoting to this, those are the results of it. And that is literally the story of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Those first four things in verse 42, they were devoted to, We've talked about this. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those four things. And as a result of that, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property, right? They were sharing their stuff, gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. We believe that is God's growth church plan. You will never see a postcard mailing from us. This is God's growth church plan. Let the Lord add to their numbers. But it doesn't start with verse 47. It starts with verse 42. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you give us insight into your word today as we are seeking that your word would be the light and the lamp that you promised that it would be. And I pray that even today, that as we talk about the breaking of bread, that that, that Lord, is a, uh, it's one of the four, the essential things that we need to be focused on. And by focusing there, verses 43 and 47, that they, they take care of themselves. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you look at these, these four things, it starts with, they were the apostles teaching. We talked about the first week, right? The word of God. That is meat. 
milk, bread, right? That, that's the word of God. That's the nutrition piece. What am I putting in my heart and my life individually and corporately? What am I devoted to? The second thing, they were devoted to fellowship. They got together. There was an accountability there. If you talk to people that are Iron Tribe or CrossFit people, y'all are nuts, but part of what the nuts is is you do it together. There's a team thing that happens that is exactly the same element that is being discussed right here. I'm going to come back to breaking of bread because I want to show you why that's strength training. But the fourth one is prayer, and that correlates with cardio because prayer is not changing God's mind. It's changing my heart. And we're going to talk about that next week. But today, we're going to talk about breaking of bread. And the reason that I would say that correlates with strength training is 1 Corinthians 11.30. He says, hey, because you have not been discerning the body of Christ properly, many of you are weak. There's a strength that comes from coming to the table. And this is important because in our series on what it means to be an essential church, being an essential church means that verses 43 through 47 are happening in our daily lives. The, the slaves are being set free. People in India are being taken care of. The Orton's back from Kenya, taking care of the, the children and the orphans in, in Kenya. The, the work that God is doing around the world. But if we start with verse 44, 45, 46, it's a recipe for flame out, burn out, or burn down. But if we focus on these four things and then it just becomes an outgrowth of that, then we don't become weary in well-doing. We don't become some social justice outfit. We become a conduit of Jesus to the people around us. Now, with that in mind, what is it that the Lord's Supper, that communion, as we call it, has to do with these verses 43 through 47? And I want to show you, just like we have in the last that each one of these individual, actually there's a direct correlation to what happens in verses 43 through 47. When it comes to communion itself, man, it's been called a great mystery. I believe it is the Greek people that called it a mystery. But I love the way that Eugene Peterson uh, talks about mystery when he says that mystery is not the lack of meaning. It's more meaning than we can comprehend. It means there's more meaning here than we could possibly get our minds wrapped around. And I want to show you as best I can from the scriptures why this ordinance of the Lord's Supper, of the table, of communion, is the mystery that allows us to be strengthened in his kingdom. The first, see, we see right there, verse 43, the first thing that they happened when that verse was, hey, they've been at the table, they've been in the word, right? they've been in fellowship, and they were in awe, at, filled with awe at the many signs and wonders and miracles that were happening. Now, I've known a lot of people, you guys know me, I grew up in a very charismatic setting. Uh, somebody was joking the other day, like, you know, we're a charismatic church. I'm like, oh, bro, you have no idea. Until somebody takes a lap and grabs a flag, okay, you are not there yet. We are the charismatic with seat belts on, okay? We, we are looking for some bumpers around the walls. But in that world, right, they would get real focused on the signs and the wonders, right? We'd get an arena downtown. We'd pack it out. Somebody throw their coat on somebody, and it was just a big show. But the Bible never said that 
We're to follow signs and wonders. The Bible says that they would follow those who believe as we are going into the nations. We just have to keep the order right. But at the table, there's something miraculous about the table where miracles happen. In Mark chapter 2, verse 9, we don't have time for you to turn there, but Jesus was healing a paralytic man. Maybe you remember the story. And of course, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the healthcare experts were saying to him, well, you're healing on the Sabbath day. Why are you, why are you violating this? And, and he says to them, he asks this question, what would be easier? Me to say, your sins are forgiven to this man, or rise up and walk? Now, of course, easier would be your sins are forgiven because there's no proof that that happened. That would be the easiest thing, right? But he says, just to prove it, you know, rise up and walk. But what was harder was that their sins would be forgiven. And here's why. For a miracle to happen, all God has to do is speak. For our sins to be forgiven, God had to die. It was way harder, and Jesus knew it, and he was going to prove it. And when I come to the table, recognizing that this represents the death of Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, and I'm discerning that, doesn't it feel like anything's possible? That if God would do that for me, what else might he do? And it also helps me that when the miracle doesn't happen, which is the question, why didn't it? I come to the table, and at the table I can say, I don't know why it didn't, but I know it's not because he's not good. Because he's good, because he died for me. So whatever else the reason is, it can't be that. Cannot be that he's not good because he proved that he was good. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, thus by doing this, you proclaim his death until he comes. And I've been around the world, and I've seen crazy things happen. I'm not supposed to say this, but Mark and Dana Masterson are here from Morocco, but don't bother them because they're here covert. But, uh, but they have seen miracles happen in amazing places around the world. And you see that when you this modern era that we're in, we don't necessarily see it everywhere, but you, you see it in other places around the world. And there's just something about that in my mind that just, how do I say this? You know what, Psalm 55, we'll say it this way. One of the greatest commentaries on the people of Israel coming out of Egypt was that they left, uh, Psalm 55, I think it's verse 20, someone can correct that to me, but when they came out, it says there were none feeble among them, okay? The blood of the lamb, remember the story? They had the blood on their door, and that blood protected them when the angel of death flew over them. They didn't die, but when they walked from out from under that door jam with the blood applied over their life, little, maybe little grandpa who was bent over and creaking and was about to have to make a walk through the journey through the desert was standing tall, took the glasses off. There was none feeble among them. Now look, I don't personally believe, and I could show you, but we don't have time, that this, the healing is a part of the atonement. But I do believe, and I do think I could prove it to you scripturally, that it is part of the kingdom of God. 
that it is in the kingdom of God. And it has something to do with the blood. And I've seen it. We've seen it all over the world. And we've even experienced it in this room when God moves on our behalf and coming to the table, strengthening yourself at the table puts you in a place where the fertile faith of uh, miracles and things happen. The second thing that we see is this idea that they had this community of communion. They had everything in common. And remember last week we said that fellowship, the word koinonia, was the same word used in 2 Corinthians 9. When they sent their offering to the poor in Jerusalem, they sent their koinonia, their fellowship to them. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11 when he is correcting the Corinth church, the thing he was correcting them about with communion was, you guys are eating all the food, the rich folks are eating the food, and the folks who don't have any money, most likely we know that they're the, the reason they're late was they were working still, get there with nothing, and you left them behind. And he uses that phrase and says, do you have to discern the body? The literal body of Christ, his broken body, and the metaphorical body of Christ. That's why we never leave a service here where we don't have an opportunity to discern the body of Christ, whether it's in India or whether it's in Uganda. This week, food is being distributed after you guys gave last week, discerning the body. And when you discern the body like that, generosity, helping those who are in need becomes so just natural and I'll take it one step further and say that there's another ditch of that. And many of my social justice friends fall into this ditch. And it is the ditch of, this is works. We have to feed the poor. We have to take care of them. You have to do this. And even me, myself, when I first started landing in Haiti 18 years ago, I went into that with this own brokenness in my heart to go help some children. But my friend Jeff Schulte said a few years back, he said, Darren, when you went to Haiti, you weren't trying to save orphans. You were trying to save you. Because it was out of a broken place in me. But when I come to the table and realize that God, before, like, while I was still a sinner, that Christ died for me. If I didn't go to Haiti one more time, he would not love me any less. It was never about that. And coming to the table reminds me of that. And now when I go to Haiti or Africa or Asia or wherever, to place of hope in Columbia, Tennessee, it doesn't have to be out of a broken hole in my heart because that hole is filled by the love of a God that has received and accepted me. And now I can do it out of health. And let me tell you, boys and girls, kids of all ages, that's a way better way to go. It's one of the things Jeff specifically said to me, Darren, wouldn't it feel great to go to Haiti and not have to use those children to fill some hole in your own heart? I used my emergency language under my breath, uh, but he was right. And here's why he's right, because when I go now, it's not about that anymore. It's about the love of Christ in me, and when I come to the table, it strengthens me for that. And the third thing that it strengthens me for is this idea of thanksgiving, that when I come to the table, they ate with glad and with sincere hearts. They came together in unity. 
one of the lost arts of communion in our modern world is this idea that when I come to the table is that I have an opportunity to make it right with my brothers and sisters. That, that I have this opportunity. It's one of the things Paul was talking about. Hey, if you've got problems with each other, you know, get them figured out. And you know one of the best ways of getting it figured out is at the table because I realize that the same sins that Christ died for me, he died for the person that wronged me as well. The ground in front of the Lord's table is level. We're all on a level playing field. Much of what's wrong right now, I think, in social media and in this idea that if we just shame everybody online and shame everybody that's done wrong to you and shame, there are people out there that have done things that have hurt you. There are people out there that have done things that have wronged you. But by taking it to Twitter and not taking it to the table, aren't you kind of becoming part of the same problem? Whereas this table says that the God of the universe has got this under control. I do not need to be Holy Ghost Jr. Get off the throne and let God rule. So I can come with glad and sincere hearts knowing that God is figuring out this stuff for me. And I can come with a glad and sincere heart because when I talked about that, about the atonement and about the forgiveness, Hebrews chapter 9, many of you know this passage. Paul starts talking in Hebrews 9. I say Paul. The, the writer of Hebrews, you, you may not think it's Paul. You totally have the right to be wrong, but I think that it's... I'm just kidding. He's talking here about forgiveness and the blood of Christ in Hebrews 9. If you have your Bibles, maybe turn there. Verse 11 the high priest. He's, he's specifically attaching that the reason for Christ's death is this. So when you hear Richard Rohr say that Jesus did not die for your sins, understand that Richard Rohr did not get that from the Bible because it's there. Christ died for your sins. He talks about the punishment, the atonement, that I have sinned. The toothpaste is out of the tube. It's not going back in anymore. You can sue me. I can pay you millions of dollars, and you still will not have that part of your heart back that was broken. And I can't make restitution, but if someone who was perfect came and made restitution, then that could happen. But read down into verse 22 with me. How many of you got a, a new King James or a King James Bible? King James only? All right, all right over here. There, I got you. King James... If you read in King James, it's the one I've quoted the most, it says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission. Now, I always added of sins when I would quote that. Maybe you've done that before. There, without the shed of blood, there could be no remission of sins. Okay? But if you get the King James, tell me, is that what it says? No. It says remission, full stop. The first few verses were talking about the penalty of sin, but this is speaking about the, uh, the power over sin. And the word in Greek actually speaks of being set free from something. It's a different word. So when it says, without the shed blood, there can be no remission, that is speaking about the power of sin over you. So not only are you freed from the penalty of sin, you're freed from the power of sin. Paul makes that very clear in Romans. But here's what that means. If you've had cancer, if you're battling some disease, and the doctor tells you that it is in remission, what is he telling you? That it no longer has power over you. 
Without the shed blood of Christ, there is no remission from your sin. But when I come to the table, why do you think we do this week after week after month after decade at Conduit every time we're together? Because we have an opportunity to come back to the table to be reminded that not only am I free from the penalty of my sin, I can now be reminded that I'm free from the power of sin over me. If you are struggling with a very specific sin that you feel like has power over you, come to the table. Allow the blood to bring remission from your sin. The Word of God, your nutrition, fellowship, the accountability, the breaking of bread, strength training strength to overcome. You see, looking at that scale back in Haiti, and God only knows where they got it from. It's Haiti. For all I know, they got it at a yard sale in the Dominican. If you've ever been, you know what I mean. Who knows? But looking at that scale, all I saw was how wrong I I was headed the wrong direction. (laughs) But if you've ever stood on a scale... The only way to go back the right direction is to start making corrections. To be devoted. To be devoted to his word. To be devoted to fellowship. Devoted to prayer. Again next week. But today we want to talk about being devoted to the Lord's Supper. To the table. And here's how we're going to do that. where you're sitting with your families. The band is just going to play a little bit of music for a little bit here. Take some time to begin to discern the body of Christ. Discern. Communion is not about perfect people. It's about repentant people. If you're sitting here today saying, well, I I might be in sin. I don't know if I can come down here. We don't check. We, 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 there's no, uh, there's no uh, Lord's Communion passport here. We trust that you, where you're sitting, can have that relationship and that conversation with God right where you are. And as you're ready, we have stations literally all over the room. Go with you, your family, your friends, and gather. And have a moment today to strengthen yourself. Many among you are weak. Let's not be among the many who are weak. Let's be those who are strong. In your weakness, he is strong, and he wants to fill that up today. And then, as you're partaking of the, and discerning of the body, if you need prayer today, we're going to have a few of us just across the front, and we would be honored to get to pray with you today. Just take some time, you and the Father, around the table. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this broken body, for this shed blood that without it, there would be no forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that without it, we would still be powerless over our sin. But because of it, stand before you 
pure and clean and accepted, dressed in the righteousness of Christ. And we stand before it